It is an absolute bloodbath in markets, particularly crypto, which dropped at a point over 10% on the day, breaking through the 28,600 support we were talking about and going all the way to the next one at 25,200 or so, retracing the entire BlackRock ETF announcement move. Is this because SpaceX sold all their Bitcoin? Is it because of Evergrande in China? Or is it just a whole bunch of traders getting liquidated at once? Or is Bitcoin once again a risk on asset that's telling you what's about to happen in the stock market? There's a lot of narratives and a lot of news. We're going to discuss it all today, as always, with my co-host here on Fridays, David Lynn. You guys don't want to miss this. Let's discuss this bloodbath. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel, hit that like button. And I've got David, I think I'm pointing in the right direction over there, joining from very early on the West Coast. David, what a day, huh? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I was, I'm going to be honest, very, very surprised at what we saw yesterday. I don't know about you, but very surprised. Yeah, uh, I think there's some bigger macro forces at play. I, yeah, of course, the crypto specific events that you brought up are important. But this morning, we're speaking right now, 9 a.m. Eastern stock futures are down. So it's going to be a down day for stocks as well. Um, and I yeah, and a bad. Right. And I think the worst week and actually quite a stretch here and stocks wow. do seem to be looking very toppy. We have a lot of bad news. I see over here we have a commenter. Weren't these experts super bullish 48 hours ago? Well, if you listen to the show, you know we were talking about price predictions for six months to a year to 18 months out. So don't uh, let it fool you. If you guys have been watching, I talked about how it looked very toppy at 31,000 and things could likely go down. Dave, you mind if I uh, look at a few charts here and we kind yeah. of dig into this yeah, bloodbath a bit? Yeah, let's analyze some charts. Perfect. So we've got, of course, the Bitcoin weekly chart. I want to tell you guys, I've switched finally. I've made the move from Bitstamp over to Coinbase for my longer time frame charts because yesterday, Bitstamp only went down to about 26200 and every other exchange went to around twenty five or even lower. And so I wanted to have accurate price action. So now the area that I was always talking about, that sort of resistance that's, that became the higher high, gave us a new bull trend after the bear market was 25212 It's now $25,214. This will uh, be, be fun to look at, David. Look exactly, exactly where this move ended. I'm not saying it'll hold, but it is literally to the dollar a retest of the level that was the most important in this entire trend and for the last year, arguably. Of course, losing potentially the 200 MA on the weekly here, losing already the 200 MA on the daily. I'm not saying it's all good news, but I am saying that when you have a series of low, high, low, lower high, lower low, lower high, lower low. That was the line where it broke above that. So if you were looking for bids, I had bids there that I talked about just on Monday. Uh, they were kind of my oh shit bids. That was the area. If you look at the daily chart, kind of zoom in on the same thing. We now have RSI on the daily at 20 after having that bearish divergence at the top when it was overbought. You go from overbought to oversold on RSI. That's how this works. Again, tagging that line perfectly and breaking the 200 MA. I think we're going to get some relief soon, whether we continue down or not. And this is what really has me convinced. If you guys look, I posted this earlier. Four-hour RSI, which down here shows whether you're overbought or oversold, hit. it actually hit two on the dump, which I've never seen ever. 30 is oversold. Closed at 5.27. If you zoom back, I went through all of time. It's the lowest it has literally ever been in the history of Bitcoin. We are seeing the most oversold conditions ever. Period. Right. And so to give you guys an idea of the gravity of this drop, that to me is just astounding. So, of course, you guys know I'll be looking for a lower low on RSI, a higher low, uh, a lower low on price and a higher low on RSI for a clear divergence there to signal. But I would be very surprised if immediately I should say this goes significantly lower. And I'll tell you the biggest surprise for me, because I was talking about this with Ben Cowan, I think, on Wednesday here, is that we both made the case the obvious case that if Bitcoin dumped, altcoins were going to absolutely get slaughtered versus Bitcoin. The opposite happened. Altcoins actually outperformed Bitcoin on this move. The last two days, Bitcoin dominance has absolutely fallen off of a cliff. 
So a bit of a surprise there. And I think a lot of people pointing to the fact that that could be related to the Ethereum futures ETF potentially getting uh, getting uh, approved. But very, very surprising that Bitcoin dominance is back below 50% and that altcoin Bitcoin pairs are performing well. I know that that's a lot, but that's how I'm looking at the market for the moment. I got a question, okay? Why is it that the ETH ETF is getting approved before the Bitcoin one? I've unfortunately lost audio here. One second. I'm sorry. If I can, I get, I, I've lost audio. I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you, yeah. This back because I cannot hear anything. Can I, uh, can, you can't hear me? Hello. Can you hear me? Because I cannot hear anything. <laughs> I can hear you. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to have to figure this out somehow. I just had a, uh, my, my uh, AirPods nuked and you're not coming through the main screen, which means I would have to do a refresh, which means we would lose our stream. So just give me a moment here and let's see if I can get it back on. Try one more time. Can I, can I hear you? I can hear you. Yeah. I'm not getting a connection. Okay, you guys, I'm going to need like 30 seconds to do a thing with the stuff and the place. David, you can talk to them while I'm uh, trying to figure this out. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Well, that's okay. Wouldn't be anything without my co-host. Uh, it's uh, it's the Wolf of All Street show, anyway. So uh, we can we can wait a minute. But uh, I I will say that yeah, um, it, it it seems to me that markets risk assets overall are just are just plummeting. Um, on a lot of news, we got the Evergrande collapse. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Uh, Argentina, uh, China is defending the RMB. Um. The 10-year yield is rising to its highest level since October 2022. Uh, this came after this week's Fed meeting minutes uh, revealed that perhaps this could be, um, you know, uh, there, there could be further rate hikes down the line. Now, it's interesting how the 10-year the, the yield has been diverging from the S&P 500. So they've moved in lockstep. The yield has moved in lockstep with... Uh, with the stock markets all year until about two weeks ago. And so this divergence is really interesting because it potentially may show that um, uh, either stock markets are due for a rally or uh, or expectations for another rate hike are kind of overblown. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Stock, Scott, are you back? It kind of, it keeps going in and out. So we're going to try for some reason when I lose the AirPod, it doesn't come through the computer, but uh, we'll, we'll keep going here. I, I, I heard some of that summary, which, which I thought was great. I mean, does this, I just want to ask you, does this crypto bloodbath surprise you at all? I mean, the velocity of it, or, or is this like, uh, we should just come to expect that when things go bad, they go bad in grand fashion? Uh, you know, we, we always try to assign some sort of event to this. And we'll, let's think about what's happened in the crypto markets over the last 48 hours that could have caused this sell-off. Um, what were the major news items from crypto besides the the, the ETH, ETH futures? Yeah, not I mean, much, we can... Right? Yeah, not much. I mean, it's this seems to be the story, right? Crypto traders suffer a billion in liquidations and sharp sell-off for Bitcoin and Ether. And to be clear, when that happens, you tend to get this even compounding bearishness Funding rates on leverage exchanges right now are at historic lows, meaning that people right now at this price are paying the most to short that they've paid ever, which usually means you get a short squeeze in the other direction. But this was a massive long squeeze wiping all of this out. The other narrative was obviously SpaceX, uh, that they had a Wall Street Journal article using very vague language that still has everyone confused, saying that over $300 million SpaceX position in uh, Bitcoin had been written down, which is an accounting measure, by the way, not, and then it kind of vaguely mentioned a sale. Nobody knows if they were actually referring to Tesla. Nobody can get clarity on this. But to be clear, if that happened, it happened months ago. And 300 million is nothing. So that would be purely narrative if you think people sold because they think that uh, Elon Musk lost faith. I mean, the reality here is, again, it's probably a long squeeze. And if you look at any of the data, this was the largest wipe in OI that we've seen. And then we have two other kind of bullish narratives, right? The Ethereum surged 11%. Maybe that explains why dominance actually went up, but that we could e see an Ethereum futures ETF approval as soon as today. And then, of course, we have Grayscale, right, which could get a, the, a decision against the SEC today. But there's really, as I wrote in my newsletter this morning, 
it's actually kind of encouraging that we didn't have terrible news, right? Uh, if, if this was some awful, very clear news event and it dropped, I'd be much more concerned. Yeah. Um, no, actually, I, I'm, I'm going to take the other side of this, okay? I would like some sort of clarity as to why the price dropped. If something is dropping because of its correlation to other markets, that to me still signals that Bitcoin and ETH and the rest of the crypto markets can't move on its own yet. And so what I would like to see is a crypto-specific news event that has moved down the price. But what, we're, what you've just described makes a lot of sense. And so uh, if we're seeing a move on, on other macro news, that's, that's, that's pretty bad for the markets overall. Um, I think that's actually a really fair point. And people always, we've, we've been talking about the fact that we've lost sort of the uh, correlation again, that the correlation has been exceptionally low. But McGlone comes on here. We have a lot of people that say Bitcoin has become a leading risk indicator, right? When Bitcoin raged up from 25 to 31 and before that from basically 17 to 25, it was ahead of the stock market going up. Yeah. Right. So is this the harbinger? Is this the canary in the coal mine that we're going exceptionally risk off when we see Bitcoin selling off this aggressively? And that could be very true. I have thought I've been saying here, I think that the stock market has topped. So it could be really interesting. It could be. Um, I, I don't know if it's a leading or lagging indicator for the stock market. I just I do know that Bitcoin, um, even Bitcoin, the, the, the less volatile of the cryptos, I guess, has been a higher beta play to the stock markets. So you can expect bigger moves up and down, especially on the downside. When stocks move down, Bitcoin typically moves down even more. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know what, guys? I, I'm not personally too concerned about short-term volatility. Looking at just, just zoom out and look at the chart for a bit more, um, for, with a bit more history. And uh, we're still at what? What's the price of Bitcoin right now? About twenty six. Twenty six thousand. Yeah, it's not looking great, but. You know, it was 29 about a few days ago. But um, uh, the stock markets have been sliding ever since mid-July, like you mentioned. So um, it's not a Bitcoin specific. It's not, it's not like people are dumping Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and, and the rest of cryptos because, uh, because cryptos in particular are going down, going down the toilet. Yeah. I, I used stronger I, I, language there, but I couldn't. You can, so, you can hear, but maybe not for your image. But for my image, you're not going to hurt it. So I think, I think but I no, but uh, uh, I, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, I think crypto specific news will be even worse uh, because yeah. that would signal an even that worse loss point. of confidence. Because think about all the news we've all the bad news we've gotten this year Coinbase lawsuit, which you talked about, Binance lawsuit. We've basically lost confidence in on ramping new users. That's terrible. And for the, for the, for like for a good six weeks or something, Bitcoin moved sideways while the Nasdaq traded up, and now it's finally starting to move back. To, yeah, it's not great news, but things could be worse. The way I see it, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we're talking about that four-year cycle, and I was talking about this as well with Ben Cowan just the other day. Every time we've had this bottom, you do get at least one more flush that kind of revisits, makes a higher low. But you can see it. I mean, maybe we should zoom in to make this much more clear. But obviously, we had this bottom in 2000, uh, in 2014, 15, January 15, and then you come back down to visit. The next bottom, you had this bottom down at 3,100 in December of 18. And then COVID, you come down and revisit, even after that went from 3,000 up to 14,000, right? And so maybe we're just, you know, we bottom at 15, we come down, it could be this high, or maybe we come down in here to 20 at some point here and then go up. But nothing here is surprising when you zoom out, as you said, and look at that longer term sort of cycle. Mm -hmm. But do you think Somewhat, this could be China? People, people, in the, people in the comments are saying this is a healthy correction, by the way. Yeah, and, and I don't necessarily disagree with that because 25,000 might be just the... Uh, natural key fair value for Bitcoin right now in this environment. And I don't think that would be surprising. We always overshoot to the upside and overshoot to the downside. So maybe 31 was just a little too exuberant for that BlackRock news and for the SVB news where it had uh, sent it up kind of to that area before. So, you know, I think you get these excitable moments where people price in that it has happened, right? SVB crashed and then Bitcoin went up and effectively priced in banks are all collapsing right? Like major bank event. And that didn't happen. So the price retraced. BlackRock ETF has not been approved. 
take some time to absorb that information, and maybe we just see it dropping. But I don't think anything here is too surprising. Go ahead. Yeah. And yeah, well, I have to make a correction because people correct me in the comments. I was referring to the ETH ETF. Uh, Ethereum is an uh, sorry, Ethereum is a futures ETF. It's not a, it's not a spot Bitcoin. It's right. not a spot yeah. ETF like like Bitcoin. But to the point about Bitcoin having a spot ETF, what price movement would you expect to see on that news? It's the most telegraphed ETF in the world right now. Like is that really going to add to the price? Yeah, I think that. Well, that's my point. Is I think twenty five to thirty one was the market saying this thing got approved, not just the news that it happened. So now you have to get approval to sort of push back to those levels and above. But I do think that fundamentally, and Mark Yusko broke this down pretty well yesterday, mathematically, if you look at how much actual float there is on Bitcoin, how much supply there is, and how much would have to be effectively bought by uh, BlackRock, and then how that would open it to RIAs and such, you should, should see a slow and steady rise to the upside just because that supply will get eaten through. But yes, I think that the market basically at 25000 said, holy crap, BlackRock's getting an ETF and price went to 31 That's a massive move, right? And so now to stay at 31 or above, we actually probably need to see an approval if that's the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, would you buy at these levels? I did. I did. I did buy at these levels. And yeah, we were on the show on Monday and I actually asked the panel, it was Mike McGlone, James Lavish and Dave Weisberger. I said, what's your kind of, I called it the oh shit level. And I said, I'm bidding just above 25-ish. And then if it really gets bad, I'll be bidding 20. Just because, you know, maybe we make that higher low I was talking about. I think James Lavish said 19,400. Mike McGlone said double bottom. So, you know, 16,000. I think Dave Weisberger was looking at 24,000 to 25,000. So I didn't, in no way, shape, or form, to be clear, did I believe I was filling those bids this week. <laughs> I wasn't even sure I was filling them at all. If we get below 25, I'll start to think, wow, we're back in sort of that bear market range. Uh, it's, it's a bit scary here, but uh, it always is when you hit support and it always is when you bottom. And like I said, there's a lot of indicators and signals right now that at least temporarily this would be a bottom. I want to ask you, though. How big is this Evergrande news in China? I mean, I can go ahead and bring it up, of course, but do you think that this could be the thing? Because if we believe that Bitcoin could be the leader of risk off and we believe that this is big news, then this could be more of a fundamental macro thing. China Evergrande Group files Chapter 15 bankruptcy, coincidentally, in New York. I find it sort of ironic. I know I I don't really understand the mechanics, but bankruptcy in New York for a Chinese real estate a giant that has been under distress for quite a while here. How much does this news matter? And what have you found out when digging into it? The China property crisis has been an ongoing issue for a few years now. This is not, um, this is kind of just the uh, uh, end symptom of this problem. If you want to call it that the bigger problem is slowdown in Chinese growth. The consumer sector has seen deflation. Uh, We've seen the Chinese central bank drop rates by the, 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 the most in years to prop up the economy, uh, that signaled act. That was a surprise move that they'd done, which signaled a complete lack of confidence. Uh, the youth unemployment is now so bad they stopped publishing that number. They were just like, <laughs> "Nope, we're not going to tell anybody how many people are not employed." Um, the bigger problem is that the world's largest, second largest economy is already potentially in a recession, which. Uh, is not good for the rest of the world. We don't know if it actually is. They're still reporting positive growth. People are saying you can't trust those numbers. The, 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 the end result, the, 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 key, the, the, the end takeaway is that things are bad in China. Now, the Evergrande filing for bankruptcy, um, so the developer has sought protection under Chapter 15 of the U.S. Bankruptcy Code, which shields non-U.S. companies that are undergoing restructurings from creditors that hope to sue them or tie up assets in the United States. So it's just to protect the U.S. assets, I guess. Um, they are they they were phys- they were facing they have been facing a liquidity crunch ever since 2021. So no, to answer your question, I don't think Evergrande itself is the cause of the market sell-off. I think the markets are selling off in continuation of all the bad news we've been hearing out of China um, from from this week. Is my interpretation. Yeah, I tend to agree with that 100%. Uh, If we're talking about things being priced in, like you're worth Bitcoin, an Evergrande collapse has been priced in for at least a year, right? Um, And the the question is, and I think I've heard it referred to as such, and I don't know if this is hyperbolic, is this a Lehman moment, as everybody loves to say, in China? Or 
just trying to have the levers to continue to manipulate their data and their economy and, and keep this party going. And then I guess how much does the United States dependent on the Chinese economy? We sort of exported the uh, global recession in 2008 because of our real estate issues. So is that something that could happen in reverse in 2023? Somebody actually brought up a pretty good point in your comments. Uh, this could be a reflection of global economic weakness. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, <laughs> Germany is in recession. New Zealand's in recession. Uh, just off the top of my head, which other countries am I missing, Scott? Yeah, they're saying the whole Eurozone is effectively in recession. I mean, and yeah. then you start looking at hyperinflating con- you know, currencies, countries like Argentina that are massively yeah. struggling. The world's not in great way. shape. I think that's clear. Uh, if you're traveling to Argentina, let me just show my screen here. Uh, if you're traveling to Argentina, I would suggest you don't buy ice cream because apparently the ice cream price doubles in a month. So if you were to if you were to go there and live there for longer than a month, you should stock up on. I think yeah. they're using ice cream as an example, but it's pretty much everything. Hyperinflation in Argentina. Um, I think the interest rate is already yeah. The inflation rate is at 113 percent. Uh, they had to raise the interest rate to over to to, to close to 100 percent. So this is not this. this I mean, this is not obviously didn't happen overnight. Argentina has seen this for a while. Um, yeah, and now they've got uh, another candidate sort of trying to fix things. But anyway, I'm going to stop sharing my screen and pass it back to you. That was just yeah. the point of how bad things are in Argentina. Uh, if you're traveling there soon. Uh, yeah, and, are- and they're even worse. Well, you're, you have a lot of power if you show up there with dollars. But things are even worse in countries, obviously, still like Venezuela and Lebanon, even, even Turkey. So this is not uncommon. It's happening all over the world. Um, I think it's interesting news that uh, we have this libertarian candidate, Millet, who is promising to abolish the central bank in Argentina. By the way, this was the catalyst for the last tail end 16% of that inflation, basically, right? The, it absolutely, the peso died when this guy started to lead in the election because people believe he will dollarize the economy, which might be a good for, thing for them, and that the uh, central bank could be abolished. But that's what's leading it here. I, one of my best friends actually lives in Argentina. He has an Argentinian wife. He moved down there maybe six years ago, and he keeps sending me pictures uh, each month of the size of his stack of cash in pesos that he has to use to pay his, uh, his rent down there. It's pretty astounding, kind of to the ice cream example. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He said, listen, I, we're just going to move back. <laughs> I wonder how much the population just uses dollars. A lot. Like, like but they've made it very difficult. Cash. They've made it very, very difficult. Because that would That's, just make sense. This is essentially what happened when we had hyperinflation in Yugoslavia. Uh, people just used the um, – at the time, people just started using the, um, uh, the German uh, mark uh, before – but this is before the euro. So um, the yeah, solution so- to hyperinflation was to use a more stable currency. Argentina has been very aggressive with shutting down the black market on cash. Uh, my friend, when he first moved there, he used to go to you know the back of a store with his uh, pile of cash and buy you know or buy pesos and cash back and forth. I had a guest on uh, once actually. It, it always sticks with me this story. He said that this was even years ago that it was so bad and people were so thirsty for dollars in Argentina that you would get a dollar transfer into your bank account. You would take the dollars out, go to the black market, convert to cash or whatever, get US dollars in cash, however you did that, and go back to the bank and put it in a safety deposit box. So people were using the the bank literally just for the security of the safety deposit box, but taking the money out of their accounts to do that, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, FlatSmack says it right here, Bitcoin fixes this. This is the entire point, right? But you would think, and we are seeing those numbers, you made the point, obviously, that Bitcoin is at its highs in Argentina, but so is stablecoin adoption because people want dollars. Uh, I'm just going to go back to uh, Millet for a minute because I think this is kind of interesting. Let me show my screen. He's got some interesting views here. Uh, present, share screen. Who is Javier Millet? All right. Right-wing political candidate um, vowed to, he believes countries' central banks should be abolished, like you said. He wants to de-dollarize or dollarize the economy. Okay, so this we talked about, where I briefly mentioned. I've interviewed several people who believe that uh, dollarizing an economy is probably the quickest way to fix hyperinflation. Steve Hankey, for once, for one, he uh, a professor of applied economics, Johns Hopkins. You should 
talk to him by the way um scott great oh, great guy to, to yeah he's, he's talk. amazing yeah, yeah but anyway he, yeah, yeah you, should, you should get him on the show ask him about dollarization but he he has implemented actually currency bores and helped some countries stabilize their currencies by or inflation rather by dollarizing so he's a big proponent of dollarizing an economy to fix hyperinflation at least for the short term i don't understand how abolishing a central bank would be the immediate path to fixing inflation or hyperinflation i just don't see that connection um right away i agree Uh, i think that that's playing to the fears and anger of the population to get elected i think that to to me and i'm not saying this is a positive or negative that's the equivalent of trump screaming that he's going to build a big beautiful wall and mexico is going to pay for it right (laughs) something that will something that will trigger your base and get them excited and show that you're quote-unquote draining the swamp and that you're against the establishment and so i can't see him actually abolishing the bank but dollarizing is as you said makes a lot of sense i've talked about this here over and over again but el salvador is a great example el salvador is a dollar as their current currency when you think about it if you dollarize a a country's currency you don't really need monetary policy anymore you don't really right. you're, need a you're married bank. to the fed's monetary policy yeah so that is true you don't need an independent central bank so maybe that's what he's getting at although the, the path to fix if you're doing that the path to fixing inflation is still dollarization it's not because you've abolished a central bank that the price of ice cream is going to double every every month or so right so there's that that's not a direct relationship there but yeah i, I see your point he's pointing his finger at somebody putting the blame on some government authority to perhaps rally the crew uh, or the, the population. He's also called climate change a socialist lie. I mean, some people believe it's a lie. I've never heard socialist lie. Um, I, I don't know. And he's, he, got, he's other... got all the good catchphrases. I mean, there's a playbook yeah. here for candidates like this to get elected. I think that's pretty clear. But the dollarization really, as I said, with El, El Salvador, it's interesting because once you dollarize, and he probably realizes this, not only do you alleviate the pressure of running your own central bank, you marry yourself to the strongest economy in the world, whether it remains that way is up for debate, and to their monetary policy, whether good or bad, is much better than your own, right? I think we can all agree that the United States central bank, for all its faults, is doing a hell of a lot better than the Argentinian central bank. But more importantly, you relieve yourself of the threat of currency war. Right. Once you dollarize, you no longer have to worry about the United States, IMF, World Bank, attacking your currency, working to devalue your currency. And I've said this over and over again. I'll say it again. That's the only reason that El Salvador, of all countries in Central and South America, was able to adopt Bitcoin as global tender. Because if you did that in Argentina, Mm -hmm. the IMF immediately came in and said, if you touch Bitcoin, you get no loans. Right. And you need those predatory loans from the IMF. So. They knew that it would, they would be attacked by the United States and the IMF if they adopted Bitcoin. Once you have the dollar, you eliminate that attack vector, which is the biggest one that every single one of these countries with any threat of hyperinflation faces. Okay. Um, I'm going to just jump around for one second sure. here. We can come back to this. But um, we were talking about news that could move Bitcoin and other, other uh, currencies. Let me, just, let me just share my screen here. So... The BRICS nations uh, are meeting next week in South Africa, the summit. Vladimir Putin is not going to go. But on the agenda is a lot of things. Now, um, the main thing is probably the discussion of other countries potentially joining the BRICS. So it wouldn't be called the BRICS anymore. It would, I guess, call, be called something else. Not all countries are, are actually in favor of this. But anyway, uh, as early as 2019, uh, Cointelegraph, has reported that uh, three years ago, they were discussing a possibility of developing its own cryptocurrency. Um, I think they were talking, I think they were looking into a lot of different solutions. The BRICS Business Council discussed creating a common cryptocurrency as a potential solution to, to, um, they're talking about US sanctions. So they want to, they want to they want to de-dollarize. So we're just talking about dollarization. These countries want to de-dollarize, which is to say they want to de- depend less on the dollar for their trade settlements. Um, but uh, people, the gold bug crowd was talking about, oh, yes, they're going to do a gold-backed currency. I think what's not reported as much is the possibility of a common cryptocurrency. I, there's a very, very slim chance that's going to happen by next week. But if it does, that would be astronomically more important than a Bitcoin ETF. Hey, I agree Rock. with that. 
Yeah, and I mean, to your point, just you, you show the 2019 article, BRICS nations to meet in South Africa seeking to blunt Western dominance, right? I mean, this is very, very clearly their exact mandate. Now, my uh, knee-jerk reaction is good luck with that, right? <laughs> like, uh, um, but whether they're going to be successful or not, there is a concerted effort to effectively reduce dollar dominance as the global reserve currency. Because that's what you're talking about here, to your point. This isn't just Western dominance. This is getting off the dollar. Would you characterize it as such? Or do you think it's deeper than that? I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's the getting off the dollar is a symptom, again, of getting off the West overall. I think... Um, I think they're trying to build their own alliance. And the geopolitical experts probably have a better answer than me. But if, from what it appears, they're trying to build their own alliance if they haven't already and trying to stay away from dollar and American hegemony and influence altogether. And they, of course, need uh, a non-dollar currency to, I guess, execute the grand plan. Um, they're already tr- settling their own cross-border trades with with each other's currencies. I think the point here is that they have a common currency to settle and that's not the dollar. Um, uh, somebody was commenting that 90% in, 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 the glo- in the comments, 90% of global trading USD, good luck to dollarizing. Yeah, I, I, it, you got various figures from various reports. It's actually about 60% now. It was 80% uh, of global trade used to be denominating in US dollars. And now, according to most reports, it's about 60%. It's still high, right? So... The the point is that it's been trending down, but the U.S. is still by far predominantly the dominant currency, the de facto reserve currency of the world. Um, again, re- reserve currency, not the same thing as medium of exchange for trade, but it's, it happens to be both. So good luck de-dollarizing. Uh, I, and I think it, it, some people, let me just look this up. India doesn't want to de-dollarize, right? Um, India was mentioning leaving BRICS, by the way. Uh, as of like a month ago. I don't know if that was a false article, but that was widely reported. But yes, I, they don't want to de-dollarize. Uh, India accelerates. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they, they want to... Uh, start. India is... Sorry, my, my mistake. India is pushing to de-dollarize, but they don't want... They're not in agreement with, uh, with everything that the BRICS are proposing. So um, I, I think including, including the fact that more nations want to join BRICS. So yeah... Um, by the way, the the discussion of a common currency is not on the agenda. It's not officially on the agenda next week. And of course, you've got a whole bunch of um, pundits speculating that it could, they could be discussing it in the ether. Well, it doesn't really matter if they're discussing it off, offline. It doesn't. <laughs> um, so I think this is going to be um, a non-issue. I think that the markets are, are not pricing in either uh, a gold-backed currency or a Bitcoin or some sort of crypto-backed currency. Um, it's not happening next week. But I'm just saying that in the, in, if we're talking about tail-end probabilities of what could really drive up or down the price, in this case, I think up, it would be a BRICS currency denominated on some sort of digital currency. Yeah, my, my other thing about BRICS is you, you did quote the number where it was 80% went down to 60%. I don't know how much is settled in yuan, but the yuan is backed by the dollar. <laughs> So I always yeah. laugh if they if they depegged the yuan from the dollar. Good luck with uh, trying to do global trade in something yeah. that would be as 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 volatile <laughs> as a, a shitcoin at that point, probably. Yeah. And also, I sort of laugh at the notion, especially when you bring in Russia and China. I mean, you're talking about trying to gather a bunch of self interested dictators for the common good, and I just think that falls apart eventually. I think that that last part is something that should be discussed more. The fact that people talk about the the, the Chinese yuan uh, becoming the dominant currency of the world. Yeah, it's pegged to the USD, guys. If China really believed that the US dollar, because you, you, you hear, uh, no, no hate on the gold bucks, okay? But it's mostly from that crowd that are saying the dollar is going to collapse. China is going to become the world's number one economy, which is going to be true at some point. doesn't mean the dollar is collapsing, that they're mutually exclusive things. And then they're saying that the dollar is going to collapse. China is going to dump the dollar. The whole world is going to dump the dollar and that uh, and uh, and the yuan could be the next global reserve currency. First of all, if the dollar were really that unstable, the Chinese would have depegged a long time ago. Correct. But it's still a managed float. It's not a hard peg. It's a managed float, which means that they're trading with the band. But right. that 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 the Chinese do not want their their currency to be a float. Otherwise, it would be harder to implement capital controls. So. 
I, yeah. I totally agree with all that. We have like two sort of fundamentally important, I think, things to look at still here with the, the market. U.S. jobless claims decline in sign of resilient labor market. Labor just refuses to budge. The Fed has to be so frustrated here, which leads me to believe that they're going to still continue to tighten. But on the flip side, global stocks, as we talked about at the beginning, heading for worst week since March, which, by the way, not, not that big of a story. But I, it does look like stocks could be topping here. And that could be because jobs are so strong that people are starting to believe the Fed is going to just continue tightening, which is what I believe. I keep hearing people say, pivot, 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 Fed will stop. But the Fed has said nothing but inter- but inflation is too high, right? Why doesn't mm-hmm. anybody believe them? It's been like a year and a half of this. Yeah. I, you know what interests me more is not so much who believes the Fed, but who believes uh, the Wall Street analysts and traders and uh, people actually moving the market. So let me just show you this story here. Um, share my screen here. Bank of America. Okay, so their their chief economist has changed her stance this year from their forecast from before to a soft landing for this year. So this was this was their this was their um, Morgan Stanley recently raised. So Bank of America, Morgan Stanley. Um, they all kind of raised their forecast. Bank of America previously had expected a, a, a mild recession by this year. And now they are saying that they are revising their outlook. I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, their chief economist has recently put out a note saying they, he is revising his outlook based on new incoming data. A year ago in July 2022, he expected a mild recession by now already. Now, he's not alone in flip-flopping, so let me just stop sharing my screen. Uh, this is, for me, more important than the Fed because the Fed doesn't directly – well, they kind of do, but they don't directly buy stock futures. Um, but, um, but, but, but the Wall Street analysts are – especially the banks and the economists, they're, they're, their view, the fact that they've changed their outlook is more telling to me. Um, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. Could be that they're wrong a second time, but bullishness has not ne- not been stronger since like before last year. This is I, I talked to a lot of bears and they've made excellent points as to why the economy could do worse. On my own show, I've, they've made good points as to why the stock markets could go down because valuations are overstretched. But we can't ignore the fact that the overwhelming sentiment overall is 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 bullish on wall street let me show you something else um net speculative positions on the s p 500 still overwhelmingly negative let me just show share my screen here uh really i'm using an app blocker i can't see okay all right <laughs> okay well this is anyway if you can kind of see this chart here it's still negative Still over. Yeah, I'm gonna the, take that down. Yeah, negative. Uh, so it's it's uh, um, it's it looks like that they uh, positioning is positioning uh, it, positioning is still on the short side. Um, so it, you've got Wall Street economists forecasting no recession, but the traders themselves, at least for the future, are still positioned on the short side, although slightly less short than a few months ago. Yeah, which indicates that even if um, even if we are going to see a crash, you could see yet another short squeeze and another blow off top before that happens. Right. The the market is not going to probably go down significantly if there's heavy shorting. It's not the way that it generally works with traders liquidating people. But I mean, I do agree with you as well that even now, after we've seen sort of this potential top, at least temporarily, I can't recall a time when pundits. were this split on where we were in the market cycle. And you talk to people, I think, on a macro perspective every single day, much more than me. But I can find people who have cases for the bottom was in long ago, all new all-time highs, raging bull market, all the way to Great Depression incoming. And the, the like bipolarity of that, to me, at this point, is shocking. Because usually you get, uh, I'm pretty passionate that it's going to go up pre it's going to go down, but now we literally have the uh, spectrum from Great Depression to you know greatest bull market of all time incoming. 
So I don't know how to parse that really. And it, it, it has me even as someone who looks at this pretty deeply, pretty, pretty confused. I bring up the, I bring up this story because you were bringing up uh, the labor market. You were talking about the strength in the labor market. And a lot of people are looking at this data um, among other things, strong retail sales being one of them as a sign that the economy is not going into recession anytime soon. And Again, like you said, pretty evenly split even on my own show about about whether or not we're going get we're going to get a recession by this year. By the way, Bank of America isn't saying we're not going to get a recession at all. They're just pushing the goalpost to next year. So pushing the goalpost and saying that it could be you know shallow and brief and yeah. sort of the soft landing narrative. Which I mean, listen, that's that's like the uh, no confidence bet. That's threading the needle and hedging. Uh, it'll be a recession. It'll be soft. And what I find ironic and I always bring up is. We've already talked about how many places in the world are already in recession. What do we mean no recession? There's already a recession in places all over the world. Is it just the United States that matters, I guess? Uh, it, it is. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> to, the, to the extent that it matters to equity markets, yes, because clearly other countries going into recession has not stopped the S and P 500 and the NASDAQ from rising. <laughs> so I just think uh, the Fed's argue... going to keep tightening. I think the Fed just sees that rising. They see labor low and they just tighten and tighten and tighten until it breaks. By the way, um, the tech sector, for example, was the first to lay people off. I remember people were talking about tech sectors, lay tech sector layoffs last year or early this year. Uh, that's over. They're now making ridiculous offers again. Um, it's so, crazy because they're the ones whose stocks went up. Maybe they were just smart enough to do the layoffs at the right time so that they could, uh, you know, increase cash flow. And I think it's just, yeah, uh, I think they, they were just leading the other sectors because they're more cyclical and we're probably going to get more layoffs after this uh, because the other sectors are probably more lagging. If you look at the non, uh, this is small business surveys, the NFIB small business surveys, employers are actually expecting layoffs. So the people doing the layoffs are expecting more layoffs ahead. So that's pretty telling. Yeah. Labor market is still strong on paper, but sentiment is going down. Sentiment from the, from the small business side is going way down. Um, so that, that that's a pretty telling sign that things are probably going to get worse. But if you just look at incoming data, that's already happened, not predictions from people. Uh, everything looks good so far from the labor side, at least. I, I agree. I just don't see how we avoid a recession. Maybe I listen to Mike McGlone on Mondays too much, and you know we call him McGloom because he's kind of so negative on things. But he always makes the point, and it kind of echoes what you just said. If labor is historically low, which way does it go to revert to the mean? Can't go lower. You know, like labor can't really get better from here. It can remain strong, but eventually you're going to see those cracks, and I think that we are already. You know, but then then we'll get a Fed pivot eventually. But, they, you know, the Fed wants wants people to lose jobs and wants the stock market go down and to go down. And neither of those things have happened. Um, historically, when the when the unemployment rate goes up by one percent, it will go up even more like it doesn't stop going up after one percent move. So I think that's what we need to look at. Uh, a few basis points of increase in unemployment does not signal a recession. It has to be a sharp move upwards. Agreed. So I guess we'll see what happens. So listen, before we go, any final thoughts or news we missed? I mean, I still think the focus for the coming days is going to be, unless we see a major crash in stocks, which I don't think is coming yet, I think the focus is going to be what's happening in Bitcoin. I'm really going to be pretty glued to the charts here to see if we can kind of hold these levels. The you follow this story probably more than me, but the, big, the, the, the BlackRock ETF thing, was there some sort of deadline that they have to observe? We saw the ARC deadline, uh, which just passed a few days ago. That was kicked. Uh, they kicked the can down the road. I think now we're looking at sort of uh, mid-October as a likely time. I think Bitwise comes up then. Uh, and then Mark Yusko, Yusko, who believes BlackRock will get approved, said, listen, then ARC's out of the way, Bitwise out of the way. They can basically approve Bit, uh, BlackRock uh, first, you know, without uh, after answering to those first two as soon as I think it was like August, October 13th or 15th, something like that. A lot of people thinking it'll happen in 2024. Um, we don't really have a date is the answer. And even when you look at the ETF experts, there's so many ways that the SEC can do this. They're allowed to answer at any point. 
And at whatever point they give an answer, that triggers the next, you know, 90 day window. So it, it's really impossible to gauge, but unlikely we would get a firm decision before October. I think grayscale, I, I just seeing that we're supposed to get a decision on grayscale in the next two and a half hours. Um, that could move the market in either direction for sure. I mean, if Grayscale beats the SEC, it certainly does not mean we get a BT Bitcoin ETF spot approval, but it does mean that the SEC's grounds for rejecting one are no longer considered legally viable. So, yeah, not there. Yeah, we 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 didn't we didn't mention this, but apparently Donald Trump is a Bitcoin whale or crypto whale. Maybe he dumped, and maybe that moved the markets. I kid. <laughs> and I love it because the guy hates crypto, but man, he loves a good grift and NFT sales getting paid in Ethereum. It's hilarious. They say he could have up to $5 million in Ethereum as either just, he obviously wasn't doing the NFTs himself. It's either a royalty or a payment for, for being able to do it. Someone paid into his wallet, but it has millions and millions of dollars of Ethereum. Okay. So that that's, yeah. So that that's for the NFTs, right? Because it's... Because I had the Trump NFTs and whoever paid him, you know, paid him as a percentage of sales. And mm-hmm. there you go. Ethereum to his wallet. Yeah. Um, yeah you, you know, I, 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 I wonder who, whatever the next administration is going to be. I wonder what their attitude towards Bitcoin and crypto uh, will have to be, because it seems to me like winning popular support these days is to be more pro Bitcoin. I was going to say, like, whether they care or not, I think right. that an anti, an extremely aggressive anti-crypto stance is largely unpopular. It might be popular with a certain part of the constituency of a certain party, but I would say that the breadth of Republicans generally are probably either dismissive or somewhat pro-crypto. Yeah, and I would say that the eighty percent of Democrats are either dismissive or somewhat pro-crypto. But the very, very vocal haters are the 20% kind of further left side led by the Elizabeth Warren camp that are extremely aggressive against it. And they are, unfortunately, right now, the most powerful uh, financial body politically in the United States because she heads uh, the finance committee and effectively she's the one who installed very publicly Gary Gensler at the SEC. So I think that any regime change, even if it's to a different Democrat, which it it seems like Biden would run regardless. We'll see. Uh, would probably can't be worse. <laughs> would be the the way I would would express it. Yeah, because when you think about it, the people who haven't adopted Bitcoin or crypto of any kind, um, either they're doing it because they're they just don't want to be exposed to the risk, but they're not like ideologically opposed to the concept of crypto. I think I, I don't know anyone personally who who, who thinks that we're not, I'm not going to touch Bitcoin because it's only for terrorists. It's only for criminals. I think maybe like 10 years ago, that may have been the thought process, but I don't think that's prevalent anymore. And so the people who have, ha- have adopted Bitcoin, they're obviously not going to be pro-Warren in this particular camp. And so the people who haven't, they're more apathetic. So it doesn't make sense from a popularity standpoint to be anti-crypto. Yeah, you're right. I 100% agree. I think that that, uh, that side of the political spectrum is being marginalized, even if not by popularity, then just by age. Right. I mean, the people who are aggressively anti-crypto across the board are the oldest people in Congress and the Senate and the presidency. I had Richie Torres, the Democrat, young, gay Democrat from the South Bronx, right, who's on the congressional committee that helped pass the the market bill, um, bipartisan market bill. And I said, listen, why are Democrats seemingly so aggressive against crypto? And he said, that's a false narrative. It's the old people. And we have a lot of old people. He said it's the gerontocracy that's truly the issue. So I think that that eventually sorts itself out. But this election could swing everything. If this election goes in some way Republican, especially if a non-Trump Republican, although the odds are, I think, against that, every young Republican, well, we have RFK, who's very pro-Bitcoin, if he somehow gets the Democratic Democratic nod. But you have Suarez, uh, Vivek Ramswamy on the other side, basically all of the young, Repu- even DeSantis, I think it's a talk, a political talking point for him, but all of them yeah. have come out with pro-Bitcoin statements. So basically, if you have anyone but the two old guys, you're going to get a very, very pro-Bitcoin president. Mm. What is but Biden? I think we'll get one of the old guys. Oh, Biden hates it. I mean, he's the anti-crypto army. Biden, you know, I, first of all, I, I don't think Biden knows what crypto is. But I think his press secretary or whoever is doing his tweeting and handles his messaging is very aggressively against crypto. I mean, oh, he literally, sure. I don't remember, he had a tweet where it was like, 
which one of these would you choose? Republicans want to starve your homeless kids and, or, you know, but we want to close loopholes on wealthy tax uh, crypto millionaires. They're literally like two graphics next to each other as if you were like choosing homeless children over uh, our tax benefits, right? I mean, it's pretty absurd. Uh, okay, I, want, I know we have like two minutes left. I want to bring up like one last macro stat because home building sales or sorry, home building, uh, the home building stats came out this week. So I'm going to share my screen here. Um, this is not often talked about by the market bears. The People are talking about how real estate is overvalued and by most metrics it is, but uh, a persistent lack of listing for the sale of, of, existing, of existing homes has pushed more home buyers to consider newly built homes. Construction rose by 3.9% in July. Housing starts this year have actually been phenomenal. Um, rose to 1.45 million annual pace from 1.4 in June. Um, down from a peak in April 2022, but not by a significant amount. The, the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, I don't know if you can see it. Uh, let me just... Oh, it, doesn't ch- it just doesn't change tabs. So if I go to this tab here, um, residential housing has actually gone up this year relative to the start of the year. So there is no housing crash. Uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be a housing crash anytime soon. One housing. can debate that commercial real estate is in trouble, but the residential side, uh, at least for the big cities, which is what this index is, is not doing poorly at all. And yeah, and, and I think there's a very clear answer for that is that, and we talk about it here all the time, who yeah. in their right mind is going to sell a house with a 3% mortgage to buy one with an 8% mortgage? It just makes no sense. So I think that the more right. the market is right. frozen more than anything, and you have a better shot at building a house than buying one if there's no supply and prices are still high. If, if prices were crashing, you would be motivated to sell, like in 2008, despite the... Yep. But well, back then, mortgage rates were much lower, but... Um, I don't I, think I, I think the economy is pretty strong. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I think yeah, people are looking at this. They're like, "Well, I don't need to foreclose or buy back on the cheap. I don't need to sell right now. So I'm I'm just gonna like like you said, I'm just gonna leave it. I don't want to. I don't want to. There's no because yeah, it's it's an evaluation because actually most people have, they bought before the pandemic, they're up. So then it's like, well, hey, do up. I need the extra cash right now? I mean, you could you you could make a profit and then use that profit to pay off. Your higher mortgage yeah, rates. You got to where you got to live. Sense. You got to go rent and then hope that rates come down, right? So, and right. rents are high. So, the, the, the formula just doesn't work for many people. I'm sure there are some, yeah. but your average person is saying, I have a 3% mortgage. Even if I hate my house, I'm not moving. Was, was it with you that we discussed this that when interest rates go up, sorry, when interest rates go down, uh, mortgage rates go down, we're actually going to see more selling? Of course, yeah. That's, that's when we're going to get a crash because everyone's going to say, I can go buy that house I wanted, right? And they're going to start selling. I think that's exactly right. So anyway, uh, things are looking good for now, uh, except Bitcoin that's down to 26000 <laughs> I hear you, man. Well, we got to go. David, All thank right. you as always. Uh, really thank appreciate it. Me. Really fun to do this on Fridays. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I know that we're going to only... Uh, Get better here. I'm really looking forward to seeing what we can build together. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Guys, that's all we got for you today. I'm headed off to Twitter spaces to once again talk about the Bitcoin bloodbath. David, I hope you uh, have a great weekend, man. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Take care. Let's go.